Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I am your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I got another awesome guest for you guys. His name is Max Shanks. Say hello. Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. No problem. So to jump right in, can you kind of tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how you got into the industry? Oh, goodness gracious. Well, that is kind of a long answer, but here it goes. <laughs> I, I first actually got into fitness when I was 18. I really just needed another job. We were having some financial issues at home, and I needed to make a little bit more money. And I already had a job working as a general contractor, but I actually saw a posting on Craigslist, if you can believe that, uh, because they were paying 15 bucks an hour for trainers, and it said, no experience required. And I was like, well, I don't have any experience. I want $15 an hour. Let me uh, give this thing a go. And, and that was basically how I got started. It was really as simple as that. I got the job uh, simply because I was the only person to show up to the interview with a button-down shirt and a tie and a belt and all that uh, like formal stuff. Everyone else showed up to the job interview wearing uh, you know, sweatpants or shorts or something like that. So that got me in the door. And then what I found while I was going to school is that I became less and less interested in what I was going to school for and more and more interested in fitness and training. So eventually, uh, I decided to open my own space. And that was seven years ago now. So Ambition Athletics in Encinitas opened seven years ago. And I really haven't looked back since. It's been really, I've been really fortunate because the gym has provided me with like a, a fitness lab, if you will, where I can test stuff out. And then I've also been able to, as we were talking before we got started, um, teach kettlebell certifications and ultimate athleticism workshops, and then also write several books. So it's um, it's been one hell of an awesome ride. And I guess the main thing is I just really spent a lot of time because I really love this stuff. That's awesome. Like uh, I was talking to Kevin Larrabee, I think last week, and he was kind of talking about one of the biggest things for a client to see success is kind of the community that the gym that they go to. And mm -hmm. every time like I see you post, it's always with, you know, in your gym, you'll see how your clients and they're having fun and everything like that. So now I'm kind of been asking people, like, do you think a sense of community in the gym that, you know, a regular person going to is kind of crucial to their success? Uh, it depends on the person is the truth. Uh, obviously, it would benefit me to say, yes, of course, always the community. But it does depend on the person. However, I think for most of us, having that community and that support system all working toward the same goal is really important. And that's... Um, something that is a basic human need is to be part of something larger than yourself. So when you're part of a community uh, working toward the same goal or mission, it does make it easier. Although there are a few outliers who really um, thrive doing their workouts alone. So now do you do anything different at your gym to kind of like separate you from say the gym down the street or anything like that to keep your community strong? Well, I'd love to say we do everything different, but <laughs> yeah. the, the strength of the community starts with the care of the coaches, I think. And that's something that is, as far as I'm concerned, completely non-negotiable. Um, and that's one thing that I'm really happy with 
for all my coaches is that they really go the extra mile to make sure everyone is on the right track and make sure they're okay and things like that. And, uh, yeah, so it really starts with the, the team and then it blossoms out from there. Nice. So now you were saying that you're, um, in the kettlebell world as well. So if someone was trying to say lose weight or, you know, get stronger, would kettlebell training be an avenue they should look at? I, I really like kettlebells because they're a very simple tool and they're, uh, they offer a lot of options. I don't believe that any one tool is the best. Certainly. I think you have to go based on not only what works, but also what your personal preference is. So if using a kettlebell gets you excited, then it's the perfect tool. But if using a barbell gets you excited, then a barbell is the perfect tool. And how you use those things uh, can vary to a tremendous degree. For example, using a barbell to do landmine presses and full contact twists and different uh, variations like that and overhead carries and whatnot is very different than just using a barbell for bench presses and curls. You know what I mean? So it's, it's far less about the implement and it's far more about what you do with what you have. So if someone were trying to lose weight and get stronger, yes, the kettlebell is a fantastic tool, but the main thing is that you focus on quality movement and you focus on, uh, militant consistency. And the way to stay consistent, of course, is to do something that you enjoy that doesn't hurt you. So in that regard, kettlebells would be a fantastic choice. Yeah, it's the one thing you said is like the consistency part. And I always have that conversation with like my clients when they always ask like, you know, like what's your like secret to success for like long-term weight loss or the success in the gym? And I'm like, honestly, you just need to show up and be consistent because the people that, you know, come in, they leave for a month, they come back, they do a couple sessions, leave, and they have that kind of pattern. They kind of just keep spinning their wheels and they're not really getting anywhere. Whereas if you're showing up week to week every time, you'll actually see some sort of benefit. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you had to like give your like three to five, like, best tips or, you know, advice for someone trying to lose weight, what would they be and like, in what kind of order would they be? Okay. Three tips to lose weight. The first thing you need to do is you need to record what you're doing now. So a plan is kind of like a map and X marks the spot. X is your goal, but a map is completely worthless unless you have a little arrow that says you are here. You know, if you're at the mall, you're at the airport, there's a little arrow that says you are here. So you know that frame of reference point. And so if someone's trying to lose weight or achieve whatever goal, you need to evaluate what it is you're doing now. And then from there, you'll actually be able to see if it makes sense. And what I mean by does it make sense is are you getting what you deserve? And what people often find is as soon as they write everything down, they write out what they're eating, they write out what their day looks like, it becomes very clear what needs to happen in order for them to lose fat or something like that. But um, as far as what exercises to do, uh, some sort of sprinting is always a good one. If you can play a sport that you enjoy or do some boxing, that's always great. And then your standard weight training and mobility. 
Now, like I've seen you post, I think it's almost like every day, like those five minute flows. Like, is that something someone should focus on on a daily basis or just like go stretch or roll or something like that? Yeah, I don't think there's one person who wouldn't benefit tremendously from doing a five minute flow. It, uh, it's really centered in habit formation and behavioral psychology. And what you find is that if you do something, even for just five minutes, that's active in the early part of your day, you are more likely to make good choices later throughout the day. So for example, you do your five minute flow in the morning, you're more likely to have a better exercise session or more likely to have an exercise session later in the day. Uh, similarly, you're more likely to make good food choices and things like that. So even if you disregard the benefit of doing mobility work every day, just the fact that you're being active early in the morning is kind of a keystone habit that helps uh, offshoot other positive health-inducing habits. Now, what kind of like mobility exercises would you recommend to like kind of start off? Do you just kind of work from top bottom or bottom top? Like, how would you kind of structure a little mobility session? Well, the interesting thing about five minute flow, and I post tons of videos on it, of course, and they're all free, was basically to get people to stop worrying about what they specifically needed to do. Um, you know, I've seen people in their 60s and 70s who email me and uh, post their videos of what they do for a five-minute flow. And of course, it looks pretty much nothing like what I did, right? But they're moving, and that's good. Uh, as a general rule of thumb, joints like circles. So if you can make big, controlled circles with all your joints, that's a really good way to get started. Even just having someone rotate their neck left and right 10 times and up and down 10 times can make a huge, huge difference in the rest of their body too. So that would probably be good if someone was like, cause I got one of the questions on Facebook and they were asking like what specific mobility exercises for someone who is say fragile or a little bit older or say someone who's obese who can't get into certain positions, that'd probably be where they should start. Absolutely. Um, extremities are easiest when you're if, if someone feels fragile, and I actually work with a guy right now who's 81, um, about 60 pounds overweight, diabetic, and uh, has a host of medical problems. We do lots of grip work, wrist and hand mobility, ankle mobility, and neck rotations because the rest of him just doesn't love to move that much. And of course, we try, but I would say if you're not sure where to start, just Go from the outside in if that's easy and start with less than you think you would normally do. And then you can always build on that. The key is to build up that consistency. And if we're talking about a feeling of fragility, this is almost an entire, entirely different discussion in and of itself because a feeling of fragility usually is something pain-related, which uh, pain, of course, lives in your brain. And you can actually develop these pain pathways that now deliver a pain signal even when there's not actually a problem anymore. So you really want to avoid that feeling of fragility at all costs. And the way to do that is to basically move everything you possibly can that doesn't hurt and slowly circle around the area that does hurt and it will eventually get better in most cases.
I find it interesting, like when people come in and, you know, you do a full assessment on them and they kind of complain like, oh, you know, my back hurts sometimes, my shoulder hurts sometimes. I'm like, okay, well, you know, did you injure it? Did you do anything to it? They're like, no, it just hurts. Cause like if I sit for too long, it just bugs it and then it gets worse. And then I'm like, honestly, all you got to do is just move a little bit more and you'd be surprised how good you would feel after. Oh, absolutely. I think one of my favorite ones was this guy wrote me an email. He goes, you know, for the longest time, I thought I had bad knees and a bad back. It turned out I just had a mobility problem. Thanks for, you know, and then he went on to um, thank me for five minute flow, which is hilarious because, yes, it took me a lot of thinking to, let's call it develop five minute flow. But it's essentially just telling me to make sure that they do some mobility in the morning and drink a cup of water. It's not like this completely revolutionary thing, but the amount of positive feedback I get from it uh, is just proof that something very, very simple can be hugely beneficial. I've even seen it when like I introduce somebody to like foam rolling and they get onto like their quad and IT band and you can just see their face, how tight those hips are and it's like right. you should be doing this every single day you'd be surprised how much better you'll feel without a doubt yeah. yeah anytime you introduce mobility into a system that hasn't tasted it before it usually is a pretty dramatic difference now for the majority of people out there that probably have a desk job like is there any like specific things they should be focusing on for mobility wise um yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll be certainly difficult to communicate it via audio. Yeah. However, um, most bridging variations where you're uh, using the glutes are fantastic because if you sit on your glutes all the time, they'll just turn into more like a pillow and less like the athletic powerhouse that they are. Um, the other issue is that people spend so long with their arms forward in front of them that they can't reach their arms back behind them into either shoulder extension, which is behind them, or shoulder flexion, which is overhead. Um, the last thing is uh, rotation, so being able to rotate through the spine. Uh, I would say those would be maybe the, the top ones. Uh, throw a little bit of uh, core strength with some planking and side planking in there, and you'd be good to go. How long have you like seen someone go from like the complete desk jockey where – yeah, one, they can't even touch their toes, can't fire their glutes. They have a super, like, hunchback to actually better posture, touching their toes and actually feeling better. Like, how long of a time frame would they see a benefit if they were doing, I don't know, mobility work once or twice a week? Well, once or twice a week is going to be a lot slower for sure. Yeah. Uh, how fast results come is going to be very variable. Uh, one of the things I like to say at my courses that I teach to all the attendees is you are all beautiful, unique snowflakes, not one like the other. And, and it's completely true because you'll have some people who respond really well to mobility work and some people who don't respond well to it at all. And there are even more people where their mobility problem isn't actually a mobility problem. It's a breathing problem or a core strength problem or a vestibular function problem. So, I mean, we can really get down the rabbit hole as to why a person might progress more quickly or slowly. But I will say this for sure. If you do mobility every day, 
you will see an improvement. <laughs> Definitely. Now you said breathing, like how much does that influence movement in your opinion? Um, well, if you stop breathing, you will die and <laughs> yeah. you won't be able to move at all anymore. So no breathing equals no moving. Um, <laughs> but all, all, jo- all joking aside, it's extremely important. Um, not only because if you stop breathing, you die, but because the muscles that are responsible for respiration um, encompass basically your entire upper body. It's, it's not like you just have a diaphragm and that is driving everything. You have a lot of accessory muscles that are responsible for assisting the breathing process. I mean, the rib cage and the intercostal muscles have to work uh, and all of the other surrounding areas, even some of the muscles in your neck and even um, down lower, like your pelvic floor, things like that. And because all those muscles connect to a lot of stuff, it's a very technical term, all those muscles connect to a lot of stuff. If your breathing is dysfunctional, whether it's uh, too shallow or you're not inflating the lower third of your lungs and you're not actually um, moving your vesicular capsule properly, it's, uh, it's going to create problems. And some of those muscles might get too tight and some of them might get too loose. And when you have like a lack of that balanced tension or tonicity in your muscles, it pulls joints out of their ideal alignment, which is called joint centration. So um, to answer your question, you, you have to breathe before you even mess around with mobility work, quite honestly. So how do you try to coach or teach proper like breathing uh, techniques to a new client that has no idea how to move their body? Well, as far as I know, there are roughly 3,000 different uh, or so different methods of doing breathing exercises. Mm-hmm. And I've personally experimented with about 2,800 of them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, really, just getting people to breathe into their stomach, breathe into their lower abdomen is really huge. So lay down on your back, one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly. Breathe in for a four count, breathe out for an eight count, do that for a minute or two and see if your range of motion in some various assessments doesn't get better. So reach your arms overhead, do a squat, uh, do a toe touch, something like that, and then do a breathing exercise for a couple minutes and then revisit that range of motion. And if you see a really dramatic increase, then that means, hey, I probably need to uh, uh, look into some of this breathing stuff. Yeah, I really like throwing in, like, say, just a couple of you know, repetitions of belly breathing before the workout session and after. And a lot of people say like, Oh, I actually feel a lot like less stress in my life just by breathing. And I'm like, yeah, you need to probably start doing this more often. But like, yeah, it's interesting. You say that the, uh, four, eight count is, uh, specifically for down regulating the parasympathetic nervous system. So pain and stress can be ameliorated to a significant degree just by doing that uh, breathing exercise. I even tell my clients if they have like trouble sleeping and they're just like tossing and turning all night, I'm like, you know what? Just like face down into your pillow and breathe your belly into your mattress and see if you can fall asleep after five minutes. Yeah. Well, and, and the good news then is even if they don't fall asleep, they at least did five minutes of breathing exercise, right? Yeah, definitely.
<laughs> I, I used to uh, I used to recommend people do like half an hour of stretching and breathing if they were having trouble sleeping. And some of them would come back and be like, oh, wow, that worked really well. And some of them would come back and be like, yeah, I still couldn't sleep. And I would be like, well, at least you did 30 extra minutes of mobility and breathing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it also tells you something like, um, like, I always tell my clients, kind of play detective with your body. See what works, see what doesn't. So in that example, it's like, okay, well, there's something going on else in like your head that you can't fall asleep. So maybe you should like look at a different avenue to help you with your sleep, right? Well, there are people out there who have made a whole career on uh, dissecting and trying to optimize sleep. It's obviously extremely important. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a it takes some figuring out. I think the main thing that causes people to not sleep well is probably that they haven't really earned their sleep. Like they probably didn't really do much during the day that made them tired. Okay, that's a good point. I've never heard that before. Yeah, I mean, like, think about it. I, I always, I had this uh, saying for a while. I don't say it anymore because people are so touchy about this stuff. But you, you earn your dinner and you earn your pillow. And the way I look at that is, you, you were active enough to require food, and you were so busy and productive throughout the day that you really deserve that good rest. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because nowadays people come home, eat dinner, and like binge watch Netflix for a couple hours before they go to bed. Well, and that's the worst thing you can do for sleep. The worst. So let's let's break that down for a second. <laughs> okay. If you sit in front of the TV and eat dinner, that's going to make two things worse. It's going to make the uh, dinner actually worse. You're actually going to probably eat about thirty percent more than you normally would have. And what you get out of that eating is going to be less beneficial Um, just because you're so distracted. You're not actually mindful about what you're doing. And then if you go straight into TV watching mode, any, you know, stimulation like that late at night to that degree with like all the colors and lights and this and that is going to absolutely destroy your sleep. Um, What I personally do is I put my phone in my office uh, <laughs> it depends on how early I want to uh, say goodnight to the rest of the world, but sometimes it's as early as about 5 or 6 o'clock. Um, at the latest, it'll be like 7 or 8 o'clock. So I always have at least two hours where I'm not on the computer, I'm not checking my phone, I'm not on uh, Facebook and that kind of thing. And that uh, usually what people find if they do go that path that I did and what I've found to also be true is you have a lot more extra time, you know, you can, uh, like I'm teaching uh, myself how to play piano and, you know, playing guitar and things like that. And, you know, when you cut TV out and you cut out electronics in the evening, your sleep is better. Uh, sometimes I'll do like a second uh, workout session, just a little mini mobility, something, because when you take away the easy entertainment, it kind of forces you to adapt a little bit in a positive way. Yeah, like that's kind of like our like world now is that instant gratification. And it's like it still amazes me how many people like in between say a conversation and no one's talking, they'll just like flip into their phone and start scrolling through like Instagram. And I'm like, it's like <laughs> it's like a pet peeve of mine. Like, what do you need to be checking right now that's on the internet that's that needs you? <laughs> like 
Well, here's the sad part about that. And I'm totally with you, by the way. I remember I was actually on a date once and this girl checked their phone a couple times and I'm like, is there something going wrong? And she's like, no. And I was like, okay, well, I'm never going to see you again. Uh, (laughs) but, But yeah, seriously. But here's the really sad part is as soon as 51% of the world is okay with just checking your phone at any time in any social setting, then it will be socially acceptable and will be the crazy ones. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because like you can like go into, say, a party or like a get-together, and you walk in through the door, and you can see yeah, at least half of people just like staring at that white light in a corner oh, with like other people doing the same thing. Oh my gosh, it's... It's really crazy. It's like we are so close to the matrix at this point. As, yes. soon as, you, as soon as you turn that phone into virtual reality goggles, we're already there. It's over. Well, now, like, because um, I was reading that Snapchat actually works with a VR company that makes all those filters. And I'm like, honestly, we're not that far off from that happening. Oh, you can literally filter out your whole life. You could put a tiny little fairy in the top right of your visual field at all times to give you advice on what to do with your life. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, even like that, uh, the Oculus that's coming out that you can play a full video game like in your living room and just be separated from the world is kind of scary, but I don't know. I don't know how that's going to pan out into the general population. Oh, it, it is kind of scary. It is really interesting what they're doing. I mean, they had a few... Uh, like warehouses where they um, set up like the virtual reality video game where you just run around to this warehouse and there's like a world there mm-hmm. created and you know there are actual walls except of course in the you know in your vision with the virtual reality they look like you know cement walls or something like that but they're really just these like padded uh, walls it is really fascinating um, be really interesting to see how far we take that. I'd be curious curious to try it because if there's a company that would, because obviously in that example, you'd be running around at least and not just sitting on the couch. So it might take this whole like generation of kids that play video games to actually get them active. It's definitely a step in the right direction. I'm with you there. Yeah, because even when that whole like Pokemon Go craze happened, like I even tried it myself, and I was surprised to see so many people outside walking around and actually like being together rather than just staying home inside. Yeah, you know it's so funny how um, divided everyone was about that thing. Some people were like, "Oh my god, this is so stupid," and some people were like, "Oh my god, it's the greatest thing." And the only reason it got any attention was because people were walking around. Uh, looking for things that weren't there, which is what we used to just call crazy people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I, I just think it's funny how people always have a, such a strong opinion about these things. For me, it's like either play or don't play. Yeah, honestly. But um, I remember my uh, client, she said, like, her son is the, the complete gamer. She could not get him to do any sport. She tried, honestly, everything. Pokemon Go comes out. And then one day, it was during the summer, like he packed a bag and he's like, all right, see you, mom, I'm going outside. And she's like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be back in like a couple hours. And he like packed himself a lunch, went outside, played Pokemon Go, came back in the evening. I'm like, it's almost like back in the day when you were a kid, you'd go outside, play all day and then come back in. 
that sounds like a victory to me. Honestly, yeah. That's why I was surprised a lot of people were, you know, kind of pissy and angry about it. I'm like, honestly, it's getting people outside. Who cares? Right, exactly. Well, and that's that's really a very common problem is people are so worried about what everyone else is doing instead of worrying about themselves. And I find that uh, quite silly. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's get back on track. <laughs> Just talking about video games. Um, how do you, what was I going to say? Um, how much does stress do you think um, affect your chances of losing weight? A lot. A, lot. <laughs> <laughs> a, a huge amount. Because I've seen like maybe a handful of clients where they have really, really stressful jobs and, you know, they say they're doing everything they can and they have not like dropped a pound. They have not lost any inches. And then you kind of like dig a little deeper and you find out, you know, they're working like 14 hour days. They maybe get four hours of sleep. And in that sleep, they're always like in and out of consciousness because they're thinking about work. And then you're like, holy crap, this stress thing is a huge deal for anybody. Yeah, it, you know, in uh, in medicine, they have a saying, it goes, uh, first remove the negative, right? Yeah. So if you can remove the uh, stress-inducing component of your life, that's great. Um, now, if that stress happens to be like your children or something, you probably don't want to just remove them from your life. I'm not saying that. <laughs> um, but uh, reducing your stress using whatever strategy is appropriate will definitely yield you um, positive health results. I mean, some people say that stress is the biggest predictor of lifespan. You know, I mean, obviously genetics play a role, but if you are um, under a lot of stress, you're you're much more likely to um, develop diseases, really. Oh, definitely. Like, you can just catch a cold from being too stressed out from work. Like I've even had that myself where I'm, you know, training from early morning to night and then you got to work on your business and this and that. And on top of that, other life commitments. And then your body's like, you know what? Screw you. You're working way too hard. I'm giving you a cold. (laughs) Oh, without, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. So stress plays a huge role and anything you can do to ameliorate that stress is really positive. And, you know, we could even take it right back to what we were talking about earlier, those breathing exercises. You know, people tend to not do stuff like five minutes of mobility and five minutes of breathing because they seem too simple and they seem like they won't do anything. But I, I bet that there's someone listening right now who if they just did five minutes of mobility and five minutes of breathing exercise, call it meditation, call it a nap, call it breathing exercise, call it whatever you want, I bet it would change their whole life. There's someone out there where that would be such a positive catalyst in so many different ways. And that really is um, what the original goal of Five Minute Flow was. It was to be that catalyst or that keystone that made everything else better in the least amount of time possible. Yeah, like I don't understand that. Like people hate the simple and easy answer. They always kind of look for something hard because in their head they think if if it's difficult, that means it's right. So it's like they rather do, say, a crash diet that will make them feel like complete shit. But, you know, getting them to eat vegetables every day is like, oh, my God, no, no way. (laughs) 
Well, or they want something complicated because if it's simple, why didn't they think of it themselves? Yeah, that's you know, pe- people are are okay not knowing the answer if it's a really complicated answer. But if it's a simple answer, it just makes them feel stupid. They're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? That's too simple. It can't possibly be that simple. But, you know, a lot of the questions you've asked me today have been related to, you know, how do you drop weight? How do you build strength? Uh, that sort of thing. And and the truth is, it is it is criminally simple to do it. It just takes a while. Yeah, I like I've always find it interesting when I meet somebody new and they're like, Oh, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, Oh, I'm a trainer and then right away they're like, Well, what do you think of this diet? Well, what do you think about this supplement? What do you think of this? I'm like, honestly, it's not this freaking complicated. Right. But I I don't know, I think people just like finding a different answer every single time and then they hope that that's their, you know, like this is it. This is gonna be my time to lose all this weight that I've gained over the years and they'll fail miserably regardless. Yeah. And when you say like, when they say, Oh, this is it. What, what it is for people is magic because people want to get something for nothing. And if you actually, you can actually trace this back to the birth of advertising. So what happened is that in order to be competitive as an advertiser way back when you had to promise more than the other guy. You know, if you and I are both selling blankets, I'm going to tell you that my blankets are not only less expensive, but they're also going to keep you twice as warm and they're half the weight. And people will be like, oh, well, shoot, I'm going to go get those instead because those are clearly better. So what happened is the advertiser's promises became more outrageous and then the consumer's expectations would leapfrog and become more outrageous. And then what happened is advertisers' promises and consumer expectations have just continued to play leapfrog. And now here we are with eight-minute abs. Yeah. You know, if you type in the number eight into Google, one of the suggestions is eight-minute abs. Now, the reason that is so attractive is because that's a about how bad people really want to get abs. They, they want something that is so magically good that it will completely change their physiology in eight minutes. And of course, that's not really how it works. Uh, it would be much more appropriate to have something called eight-year abs, except yeah. that's, that's a pretty hard sell because people don't want to work that hard or for that long. And they think that something more finite is better. But the truth is, you need to find something that you like to do so that you will do it forever. Um, you know, one of my clients recently, her name is Julia. She's uh, in her late 60s. She's a lovely person. And I was, I asked her if she would do a little interview for me for the gym. And she told me this interesting story. A friend of hers asked, well, how long are you going to be doing this uh, workout thing for? And she said, it's just a part of my life now. It's just like eating breakfast. And I thought, you know, that is the attitude of someone who will have success with exercise. Someone who treats exercise the same way they treat breakfast or showering or something like that. You're you're basically just uh, doing muscle and joint hygiene the same way that you shower for your normal personal hygiene. You should be eating for your health and then also doing mobility and strength training 
to uh, your continued joint and orthopedic health. Oh, totally. Like, I think the media does a horrible job of like kind of portraying that, uh, yeah, (laughs) portraying that, you know, in 30 days or 60 days, 90 days, you can go from, you know, couch potato to this ripped freak that's doing 20 pull-ups in like in no time. Exactly. And and people fall for it all the time. Well, all the time because remember advertisers, promises and consumer expectations played leapfrog for us to get to this point. Now you can't even sell something that's just kind of okay. I, I can't say here's what you get. Something very simple, it will work. You just have to do a lot of work for a long time. If I, if I put together a program like that, here's a five-year plan for training. People would be like, ugh, five years, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not ever sexy to be like, oh, in 10 years, you could be a completely different person. <laughs> well, look at the success of uh, programs like P90X. Yeah. You know, Do you know how many people complete P90X? No clue. Probably a pretty small number. So in the first two weeks, 95% of people quit P90X. Jeez. So, uh, I mean, they've made shitloads of money. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. They've made lots of money. But 5% of the people who bought the program actually saw it through to its completion. And then out of those 5% who saw it through to its completion – the ones who they show on TV are the ones where results are not typical. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So statistically, you're better off spending your money on weights than buying that program if you're going to use them. Or you're better off buying a rock climbing membership or you're better off uh, learning how to uh, box or play tennis or something like that. You just got to find something that you'll actually do. And it's different for everybody, but you just have to be honest with yourself and say, well, what am I actually going to do? And that's how you find out how to stay fit, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Now, into the next question, what's kind of your take on nutrition for someone trying to lose weight? Uh, it depends on the person. Just, just like before, you got to figure out where they're starting from. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there might be someone out there who – is eating too many bananas, but that's usually not the problem. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, if you choose a banana over a pop tart, Hey, that's a victory. You know, we're moving in the right direction. So I, I really do nutrition on a case by case basis. And I think I like to keep it simple. You know, what are you doing now? Are you the way that you want to be? No. Well, you need to reduce your calories and you might need to reduce your carbohydrates and you certainly need to increase your activity level. That's as simple as that. Um, barring the exceptions where someone has like some intolerances or allergies or anything like that, um, you know, vegetables, fruit, meat, ice cream, cheese, that kind of stuff, it, you, you're probably going to be all right. Yeah, I always find it funny where like if you get a new client, they're like, okay, what am I not supposed to eat? I'm like, well, you can still eat like say, you know, junk food, but just not in excess and you can still see a lot of results. Well, it, it's like people know that it's okay to have a glass of wine, but it's probably not a good idea to have like three bottles a night, but somehow the same doesn't apply with uh, Cheez-Its. 
<laughs> yeah. Or any kind of like snack in a bag or box. <laughs> right. Um, another question from Facebook goes back into like the mobility and flexibility stuff, but when do you suggest like increasing load bearing range of motion exercises? Uh, it really depends on the joint and it depends on the person. So, you know, you can add load bearing joint mobility for the hips and shoulders probably pretty quick and probably not as quick for like the neck and wrists. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, what I would say is this, if you can do 10 to 20 reps of a mobility exercise without sweating it too much, you're probably ready to add a little bit of load. Okay. That's easy enough. (laughs) Yeah. I I would do most things unloaded for at least a couple months just to let your joints get used to it. Um, you know, bone and other tissue doesn't remodel overnight. You know, it, it takes time to go through that cycle. So you have to give it time to adapt. So you shouldn't be strapping like a a 45-pound plate to your head and do neck crunches? (laughs) Probably not on day one. Yeah. That's that's more like week two stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever seen the uh, episode of The Office when Dwight did that? (laughs) I have not, but I'm sure it's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't even know how he like did it. He found one of those like old like attachments that almost looks like a hat and there's like chains hanging off it oh yeah and then he just like strapped a bunch of weights on and started doing neck crunches like it's the funniest thing ever but that's dwight for (laughs) you i remember back in the day i bought one of those hercules head harnesses or something like hercules neck harnesses yeah (laughs) how did that work out uh I was, I was younger and dumber. So, I mean, it worked out fine because I had been doing martial arts for a long time, but, um, (laughs) I think, uh, under normal circumstances, it might've, uh, decapitated me. Yeah. It's a little progressive, eh? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, the other one I got was you posted an article, I think earlier today or yesterday about the front butt. What's that, (laughs) what's that whole thing about and why should people care? Uh, well, it's, it's kind of another one of those things where people have these like magic exercises or magic muscles. So the flavor of the month right now is that everyone's now finally talking about how people's glutes suck. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what I mean is their hips are tight in general and their glutes are super weak because we sit down way too much. The front butt is the opposite side. So the antagonists. So hip flexors, adductors, internal rotators, these are muscles that we almost never train because people are just so used to the rhetoric of, oh, your hip flexors are tight, your hip flexors are tight, your hip flexors are tight, your glutes are weak, hip flexors are tight, glutes are weak. So the front butt is just the opposite side of your hip. And in order to have a healthy hip, you have to have a balance of the muscles on each side of the joint. And that's actually true with any joint. So if you have um, really strong forearm flexors and if you have really weak forearm extensors, you're likely to develop some wrist or elbow problems. Um, And that's true, like I said, for every joint. So the front butt is extremely important 
but only if you want to, you know, be able to walk, run, jump, do anything athletic or function as a human being. Okay. And they, they can just find that on your website, right? If they wanted to read it. Yep. Perfect. Now, last question for you. Um, what books are you currently reading and which ones have kind of changed the outlook on your life? Um, I have to say I just recently finished a book called Extreme Ownership and it made a big impact on me from a leadership standpoint. It's, um, it's written by a couple of Navy SEALs and it draws parallels between business and a tactical operation in war. And I'll tell you what, it, it just is a fantastic book on leadership and personal responsibility, and it really had an immediate impact on me. So that's, that's, that's the biggest one. Awesome. Uh, so to finish up, if you can tell everybody what, like, where they can find you online, on social media, and if you have any you know, projects coming out or any kind of speaking engagements, just let them know. Yeah, um, the easiest way to find me is through my website at maxshank.com. Uh, you can also find the gym at ambitionathletics.com. Uh, I will be coming out with a five-minute flow product uh, pretty soon. And um, you can look for upcoming events and stuff like that on my website as well. Social media, I think I'm pretty much the only at Max Shank, So I'm pretty easy to find. Not too many people have that name. Uh, so that's it. Yeah. Perfect. I just want to thank you for all your time. And this was awesome. Yeah, man, absolutely. Anytime. All right. So that was the end of episode 19 with Max Shank. Hopefully you enjoyed his interview and his take on fitness and health. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. Um, I also want to say thank you guys for listening. Like it's been such an awesome ride and next week is going to be episode 20 already and I just want to continue giving you giving you all great content and if you can just support me by sharing it all across your social media feeds that would be freaking awesome even just liking it other than just clicking to play and listen just share it as much as you can so I can just spread the word and uh yeah, if you can subscribe to the podcast, that'd be awesome. Again, like I've said a bunch of times, I'm on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio. And uh, we'll see you guys next week for episode 20. Thanks.